Robbie Tavir. It's <laughs> not like my American accent, which has suffered a lot over the years. Okay, um, let's get underway. I'm delighted to be uh, with you this evening. I hope that my technology has um, uh, improved from the last couple of weeks in our new place. We were working with a uh, kind of makeshift system, but I hope that we'll be back to uh, custom standards. So I want to share with you tonight um, a beautiful insight, actually two separate uh, aspects of the Mishkan that uh, Rav Moshe Al-Sheikh um, reveals. And the first one is near the beginning. If you've got the art scroll, Chumash, uh, it's on page 444. It's the beginning of Parshish Truma. As you know, Parshish Truma begins, in fact, the entirety of Parshish Truma deals with the construction of the Mishkan, the various features, the accoutrements, and the uh, materials of the Mishkan. And the first opening passage is about the charge to build a Mishkan and to raise the funds and the materials that uh, were necessary in order to achieve that. And on uh, that page 444, we have in Pasuk Ches, verse 8, a uh, well-known pasuk that requires, nevertheless, explanation. Vasuni mikdash, some of the best-known psukim are a beg for a deeper understanding. Vasuni mikdash, they shall make for me a sanctuary, v'shachanti besocham, and I will dwell in their midst. Now, the difficulty, of course, is that we would expect the Torah to say, vasuni mikdash v'shachanti besochot. They shall build for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in it, because that's why it's for me, uh, so that I can dwell in it. But of course, that gives rise to the difficulty, which we find in the Medrash and elsewhere, that uh, how can God, whose glory fills the world, somehow dwell or be contained within a man-made structure? In any case, the Pesach says, I will dwell in their midst. So, Moshe al-Sheikh uh says that some have suggested, based on that turn of phrase, I shall dwell in their midst, that really Hashem does not dwell even in the homiletical way or in the metaphorical way within the Mikdash. It's true that there is an instruction to build that uh, sanctuary, that tabernacle, for the benefit of the Jewish people, but its function or its its purpose was so that Hashem would dwell within them, within the Jewish people. So Al-Sheikh says this is a good idea, but he raises some difficulties with it. He says that uh, the Torah also says um, expressions which seem to indicate that Hashem did, in fact, in some way dwell in that structure. I will convene with you, I will commune with you, there, Hashem says to Moshe, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Uh, also, the following Pasuk, Pasuk test, it's the very last word on page 444. The words also require an explanation. They kind of are left dangling. And they don't seem to add value. So shall you do. Um, the Torah already contains the instruction. What's the need or the benefit of adding those same those two words? So shall you do. I mean, that is the supposition that you shall do. That the instruction is to do it. 
why echo the thought with the two words at the end, Israel? So says Al-Sheikh, actually, this suggestion, I shall draw within them, he says, is a very compelling approach and one which uh, he develops uh, further. In other words, um, having pointed out there are some indications apparently that Hashem did, maybe in a metaphorical way, dwell in the, in the Mishkan, but nevertheless, is the key phrase. Says Al-Sheikh that we have an example, there are really several examples in the Nevi'im, but there's one famous message, which I'd like to read you a few verses from near the beginning of the book of Yirmiya. Jeremiah the prophet was tasked with the unenviable mission of prophesying doom for the Jewish people. In fact, he is the watchword. He's become like a, a um, uh, metaphor for the prophet of doom, because as I said, that was his mission to tell the Jewish people about the impending tragedy that was uh, um, approaching. And he urged them with every possible means of exhortation and persuasion to improve their ways. Uh, sadly, he did not succeed. But that um, narrative includes the following uh, passages, the beginning of chapter 7 in the book of uh, Yirmi. The word that came to Jeremiah from Hashem saying, stand in the gateway of the temple of Hashem and proclaim this message there. Say, hear the word of Hashem, all people of Yehuda who come through these gates to prostrate, to to prostrate themselves before God. Thus says Hashem, Master of Legions, God of Israel, improve your ways and your deeds, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. In other words, to enable you to continue to come to visit the Beis HaMikdash, to bring sacrifices there, communal sacrifices, personal sacrifices, and to enjoy the uh, uh, significance of this central place of directing your prayers and coming to experience the divine revelation. I would suggest in a wider way, he also means that you'll be able to continue to live in your land. If you improve your ways and your deeds, do not trust the false statements that say the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of God are they. I'll just read it in the Hebrew because that is the memorable turn of phrase. Even if you're not expert in the book of Yirmiya, you may well have heard this uh, particular pasuk. Don't put your trust in those false words that say, The false prophets who say the sanctuary of God, meaning the buildings that comprise the the Beis HaMikdash and its various chambers, this is where God dwells. So Hashem has too much invested in that building to allow it to ever be destroyed. And as long as it stands, we are impervious. We are are protected against any uh, threat. So Yirmiya denounces that way of thinking. I'll read a few more verses. Only if you truly improve your ways and your deeds, if you truly do justice between man and his fellow, do not oppress the stranger, orphan, and widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and do not go after the gods of others to your own harm. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your forefathers forever and ever. In other words, Yirmiya explicitly denounces and uh, like um, 
uh, rejects, he, he, he uh, falsifies, he demonstrates the falsity of those prophets who imagine that the sanctuary of God will stand forever, says Yirmiya, and this is the thrust of it, and that's why, why Al-Sheikh quotes it here, says Yirmiya, Hashem will dwell in the Beis HaMikdash only to the extent that he dwells within the Jewish people. If the Jewish people are worthy, if they improve their ways, then Hashem will dwell in the temple, and then the Jewish people will also have the opportunity to make use of it. But if they continue in their corrupt and degenerate ways, then they are driving Hashem from the land, and the temple will be, as the Gemara says, like a uh, um, grain which is already ground. It's already. It's like a we would say a, a paper man. Uh, it, it's a house of cards that will collapse very readily, and of course, uh, so it did. Says Al Sheikh. From there we see, and he quotes some other sources as well, but that's his main, his main um, truth text. It says, from there we can see that indeed Hashem dwells within the Jewish people. But when he dwells within the Jewish people, when Hashem dwells within those who are holy, then that holiness spreads and pervades the land and enables Hashem to dwell in the Mishkan or in the Beis HaMikdash. Uh, he says that, um, uh, I'll just read you a few words from his uh, language. Their souls are the genuine sanctuary. And from them it can spread, the divine presence can spread even to the holy place, which is the Mishkan, it's not the other way around. We think that Hashem's presence is manifest in the Mishkan, and from there it radiates to the Jewish people. Says the Al-Sheikh, it's the other way around. If the Jewish people are worthy, I will dwell in their midst. Now, I can say personally, I have been to some places where I feel the holiness. I'm sure we have all been to the cocktail, and uh, perhaps you've been there many times, and maybe the impact uh, has been uh, I don't know, vitiated over time, or perhaps not. And maybe you can remember the first time you've been to the hotel. Certainly, I've heard from many who were there for the first time how they were overwhelmed by the sense of of the the power of the the presence of God. Uh, sometimes a person may visit a, a particular shul. I remember in Jerba, uh, we went to a Kesha group to Jerba many years ago, a small coastal island off the coast of uh, Tunisia. And there's a very ancient synagogue there. And I felt a really a sense, a special holiness mm -hmm. that I felt in that place. So the, um, sorry, I just got a call, which I've got to turn off. Excuse me. Apologize for that. Um, the uh, um, lost my train of thought. In uh, Jerba, I felt a certain holiness, and in certain other places as well. But I can tell you, just speaking for myself, I have felt a more palpable sense of the presence of God when I have been in the company of people who are holy, people who are great. Uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein. Certain other people, perhaps I won't mention their names uh, because I don't want to get on right, whatever it might be, people that I personally have felt I'm in the presence of someone in whom the divine like uh, favor is, is palpable. So uh, those people might 
deny any such thing, but I'm just saying for myself, that is my, my sensation, and that is what Al-Sheikh says over here. Vasuli Mikdash means that you shall build a structure as the Torah describes, but it's um, maintenance, it's sustained, uh, it's sustainability, as we like to say today. In order to achieve a shekhanti besocham, I'm sorry, it's, it will be preserved through v'shechanti besocham within the Jewish people. He says, ki ein va'avanim ikar, the wood and the materials are not the principal thing, it's the people who are the principal. So he says, as building the mikdash, so now take another look at these psukim, uh, ches and des, v'asun mikdash v'shechanti besocham, I will dwell in their midst. The, um, like diagram, the uh, you could say hologram, even the vision that Moshe beheld of what the Mishkan will look like and what its features will look like. That's that is the appearance, the proportions, and the sketch, the architectural drawings. Or nowadays, we have on computers, you can make the three dimensional image. So, in a similar way, just by way of analogy, that's what Hashem. Enable Moshe to be whole. That's vase as Tamis Hamishkan, as Tamis Kol Keleha, the Chain Taasu. The Chain Taasu means that Hashem says to the Jewish people, You can do it. And for those who paid attention to the title of tonight's uh, little uh, short Shior, we said, You can do it. That's what Hashem said, the Chain Taasu. And do you notice how those last words, the Chain Taasu, are in the second person. It starts off they shall make for me a sanctuary. They shall make for me a sanctuary. But then he concludes the and so shall you do, because the Jewish people thought to themselves to build a structure like that with such precision, such beauty, such uh, rich detail, uh, with such expensive materials, we can do it. We will endeavor to, to do it, and they did it. But how can we achieve that God will dwell in our midst? How are we worthy? Especially, my friends, remember, according to the uh, conventional uh, understanding, which is that of Rashi, this passage actually took place after the Ched HaEgel, even though it's arranged here sequentially in the Torah before. But according to the usual, the, the general understanding, this instruction for the Mishkan came after the Ched HaEgel. The Jewish people felt we committed this terrible treachery of the golden calf. How are we worthy? How can we expect God to dwell in our midst? And therefore, Hashem says, you've already begun. Because one who comes to purify himself is assisted from heaven. Moshe went up to the mountain for the third time on Rosh Chodesh Elul. That's when the Jewish people were, were told that the possibility of reconciliation is in their hands. Moshe was on the mountain for 40 days until Yom Kippur. He came down in Yom Kippur and Hashem said, Salachti kidvarecha. Then he um, set out for the Jewish people the instructions of building the Mishkan. Says Hashem to the, according to Al Sheikh, you've already begun. Because you've taken a step towards Teshuva, you've put behind you your, your betrayal and your uh, um, 
dancing around the, the idol, you are already on the path. You can do it. Hashem is giving the Jewish people the encouragement that it's possible for you to uh, uh, be a repository, the Jewish people, for the presence of God. This reminds me of the famous uh, comment uh, attributed to the Kotzka Rebbe, Ramnachem Mendel Kotzk. He asked his Hasidim, where does God, where can you find God, or where is God? And uh, of course, they were perplexed by such a question. Malach kavodo, the whole world is filled with his glory. He said, no, I'll tell you where God is. God is where you let him in. So this is the meaning, Hashem says to the Jewish people, the structure is one thing, but I'm going to dwell in the midst of every person who is worthy. And in that way, you can achieve the presence of Hashem in your own life and in your own, in your own existence. And as a result, Hashem's presence will also be found in the Mishkan. To me, this is a, a beautiful and in a way a novel way to, to look at the role of the Mishkan in which the holiness flows from the Jewish people to the Mishkan, not the other way around. Okay, that's one uh, uh, approach that I, I wanted to share with you. Um, I've got, uh, we have enough time hopefully for a further uh, beautiful elucidation on the part of uh, Al-Sheikh, again in the Drash, vein. Um, it's a bit later on in the same chapter where we have the mitzvah of the shulchan. So it's chapter 25, verse 23, 24. Uh, in the art scroll, stone, Chumash, page 448. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits in length, a cubit in width, and a cubit and a half its height. Uh, in the Hebrew, now we see pisa. The next passage, we see pisa. So zahav tahor. You shall coat it with pure gold. Vasiselo zer zahav saviv, and you shall make a, a golden crown or like a border around it. So Al Sheikh speaks, um, writes at considerable length about this uh, menorah, about this shulchan. I want to tell you some of the symbolism uh, that that uh, we have time for this evening. He says the Shulchan, and this the Gemara says uh, clearly, Shulchan, and even our own um, sense of uh, um, the symbolism, I think will will confirm that a table is a symbol of prosperity. It's a symbol of wealth. It's a symbol of sustenance because a table is where a person eats his meals, and the food is the basis of of life, and a food which is. Uh, I'm sorry, a table which is laid in, which is uh, has ample provision upon it, that symbolizes prosperity and wealth. Uh, the position of the shulchan within the mishkan was to the north, and uh, the menorah was to the south. The Gemara says, kim yadrim, one who seeks wisdom should go to the south. Yatspin, one who wants wealth should go to the north. So the shulchan is to the north, and the shulchan is the symbol of wealth, of prosperity. Okay, What was it made of? So this table was made of atzei shitim. We said that vasisa shulchan atzei shitim, uh, acacia wood. So Al-Sheikh says the word shitim, shin tes yud mem, shitim, that means acacia, probably means acacia, it's the type of tree, the type of wood, has gematria 359, 
359, it's the same gematria as Eretz Chaim, the land of the living. Now, Eretz Chaim refers not to a piece of real estate, even though it is also associated with the land of Israel, but it refers really to the next world, the world of eternal life. So he says this table, although it's a symbol of success and prosperity in this world, but it equally, or let's say the, the message the Torah seeks to convey to us is the table should be utilized for physical sustenance in the service of spiritual uh, success, spiritual achievement, and ultimately to, to accompany a person even to the next world. So it's the symbol of Gashmius, of physical uh, success in the service of Chaye Netzach, in the service of uh, eternal life in the next world. He explains that the uh, uh, dimensions have a significance as well. Amasayim Arko, its length is two amot, and ama is about, uh, um, about a meter, and uh, no, about half a meter. So Amma is about half a meter, about 50 cents, about 50 centimeters approximately, which is yud based tfachim. It's sixth, uh, and Amma is sixth tfachim. A tefach is a hand's breadth. Hand's breadth is reckoned to be about eight centimeters or so. That's why I say about 50 centimeters approximately. Some say, yeah, say approximately. But in any case, that's just, just for, for a frame of reference. An Amma has six tfachim. So two amot, two cubits are. 12 Tfachim. So he says 12 is the gematria of Pas Mispar Katan. Pas Peitaf is bread, like Pita. Peitaf is, is a bread. In Mispar Katan, that's the minor uh, numerology in which the Pei, which has the gematria of 80, but in the minor, it's 8. Taf is 400, but in the minor, it's 4. 8 plus 4 is 12. So the 12 Tfachim of the two Amot refer to bread. The ama in in width, uh, the ama rachbo, the ama in width, of course, in ama we said is six tefachim. So he says it represents the six blessings, not the sheva brachos, but the six brachot, which are associated with a meal. You wash your hands, you say, when you eat the bread, you say, and when you say Berkat HaMazon, so there are four blessings in Berkat HaMazon. Actually, uh, the Gemara refers to it as three brachot, but Midrabonon, there's a fourth bracha as well. When you say Berkat HaMazon, you may feel as if it goes on for several pages, but there are essentially three, uh, well, four brachot, three Minhat Torah, and a fourth bracha Midrabonon. So there are four brachot in Berkat HaMazon, Hamotzi Lechem, Min Haaretz, I'm working backwards, is six. So the ama in width symbolizes the six brachos which a person recites uh, in association with the meal. Uh, then ama vachetzi komaso, and its height is an ama and a half. So an ama and a half is nine hand breadths because we said an ama is six, so a cubit and a half is going to be nine. He says that is gematria mayim, misparkatan, 
Mem is 40, but Mispar Katan, the minor numerology is four. Yud is 10, so it's four plus one plus four is nine. So we have the bread, we have the water, we have the brachos. So if a person is eating minimally, say he washes his hands, makes the bracha, he says, he has water to drink, doesn't need to make another bracha on the water. He says, and that's his table. A person can get by with that, says Al-Sheikh, because your table enables you to flourish in the next world, not just in this world. And then he says, V'im ta'ashir. If you're wealthy, you're not just getting by, Baruch Hashem, with water, with, with bread and water. You're blessed with other food. Im ta'ashir. He says, V'tzipisa zahab. That's the next pasuk. Pasuk Chavdalet. V'tzipisa zahab. Overlay it with gold. He says, you've got gold. You, if, if you're wealthy, you're, you've been blessed with prosperity, then that's great. Your table can be adorned and can be, excuse me, can be uh, um, expanded uh, with gold. But it has to be Zahav Tahar. The money has to be, like we say, kosher money, not money achieved through exploitation or through extortion or through... Uh, um, unscrupulous practices or illegal practices. So it has to be Zahav Tahar. And if so, then, uh, because if if not, so he, the Gemara says, Gemara Bracha says, Botseah so there shouldn't be a situation in which a person is eating uh, bread which is stolen or even purchased with money which has been acquired through through uh, nefarious means. It's Botseah Barech. One who, one who, uh, it's a, it's a, a drash. The Gemara says, the, the pasuk says, uh, The Gemara interprets it as one who makes a bracha on stolen bread is cursing God. So he says, it's Zahav Tahor. If you're wealthy, Baruch Hashem, should be Zahav Tahor, however. And he says, and if you do that, if you eat for the right reason and your money is acquired through legitimate means, then it says, Alab Zer Zahav Saviv. I'll read you the next passage. Vasisa Lo Zer Zahav Saviv. Vasisa Misgeres Tofach Saviv. He says, then you should place upon it uh, this golden crown. It's like a, a border on the table. And he says, that Saviv Allah upon it, he says, it's like a person who has that crown, that Zer Zahav in the Olam HaElyon, in the higher world. He says, and not like those who lose their, who, who I'm sorry, not like those who become wealthy, but squander their future as a result, for whom the money corrupts them. Not like those whose, uh, uh, let's say um, a sense whose whose acquisition of monetary blessing of of uh, financial means causes them to lose the next world. Sometimes they lose this world as well in in many different ways. Uh, also, now I think I once in a previous year I mentioned that I was speculating there may be a remez in Al Sheikh to some of the experiences of the people in his own generation. I think he may be alluding here to the fact that the Jews of Spain, in many cases, or at least in some cases, were acculturated and were affluent. And according to the testimony of the time, many of those people, of those wealthy, uh, acculturated 
Jews were the ones who did not go into exile in 1492, but instead agreed to kiss the cross in order to not have to leave behind their property and their wealth and the prestige that they enjoyed. I think he may be alluding to that when he says, not like those whose wealth causes them to lose this world and the next world as well. I think he may be alluding to that. Now, he actually takes this further as well to speak about the rings and about the significance of the four rings and the staves that are used to uh, transport and to uphold the shulchan as well. We don't have time for it now. However, however, it's my intention to speak about that in my voice note this week. So uh, please make a point of listening to the voice note for the uh, companion piece to our discussion tonight about the, the shulchan in the writings of Ramosha al-Shef. So just to summarize, as we like to do, we spoke about B'Shechanti B'Sochan, says Al-Sheikh, yes, indeed, the Torah means to say that Hashem will dwell in the Mishkan only because and only when he dwells within the Jewish people. And he says, that's why it says at the end, so shall you do. Don't despair. You can do it. Don't think that because of your... Um, uh, betrayal at the, the with the sin of the golden calf that there's no hope for you it's not so you can because habalatahe messianoso one one who um seeks to um, purify himself is assisted min hashamayim and then we said about the shulchan the symbolism of the shulchan as well that 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 we've discussed good job to everyone tomorrow night we're having our adar tish at Takesha. so please join us from nine o'clock uh, for uh, uh, Torah, for singing, for whiskey, for atmosphere, get into the Adar spirit. And Dvar Torah tomorrow, uh, excuse me, on Shabbos, uh, the Dvar Torah at is on the subject of um, ch cherubs in the sanctuary, Angels in Disguise. I can't quite remember. I got so involved in this year tonight. But anyway, we've got the, the uh, shir tomorrow as well after the uh, after the kiddush. Please join us. Good Shabbos to everyone. And I wish you Chodesh uh, Tov. Rosh Chodesh Adar is earlier this week. So we've got Mirz Hashem. Good things ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Good Shabbos. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you. Good Shabbos. Thank you. Wonderful. Good job, good job, Shabbos, all the best. Thank you.